Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, called Epic Faith Battles of History, um, based on a YouTube series called Epic Rap Battles of History. And I did cry a little bit last week because I really wanted us to have a rap battle, but Lene and Bonnie were not here, and they're the ones I wanted to, like, yeah, get them a microphone and let them go head to head. But um, it, it, here's the thing. There's this YouTube channel, uh, just to bring everyone up to speed again, called Epic Rap Battles of History. Don't go look it up. It's a secular channel, lots of curse words. That's what rap is, okay, whether you like it or not. So lots of curse words, but what they do is they take these popular people or concepts and pit one against another. So some of the most popular ones, um, they did one for Biden versus Trump, which was hysterical, wouldn't have changed anyone's political perspective, but it was hysterical um, to me. To the, to, the, to the people who support Biden, it wasn't funny. To the people who support Trump, it wasn't funny. But it was hysterical, all right? Uh, they also did one, and again, don't go look it up, because they both use a lot of bad language towards each other. Um, and also, that's not really them, just in case anyone's wondering. Uh, but also they did one, and this one is a few years ago, Oprah versus Ellen. Right? But this was back when you didn't have to pay to watch Oprah. She was on you know, regular TV. And again, hysterical, whole lot of bad language, because they're just like going at each other. Uh, and then there was one, this was one of my favorites, and it was a fan favorite, um, Harry Potter versus Luke Skywalker, and the entire video is in Legos. So it was, it was just cool. And it was geared towards children, unfortunately, because there was some bad language at the very end. Um, but other than that, it was just hysterical. And the idea, again, they took is to have this battle betwixt two popular people or popular concepts like Democrats, Republicans, or movie franchises, right? Um, and I wanted to use that concept to talk about our understanding of faith, uh, talking about misconceptions that people have about faith. Now, last week, um, uh, we, when we were talking about this, we said that our faith, right, no matter, no matter what we're dealing with, we did our faith versus our history, and we said no matter what the struggle is, our faith always overcomes our history. But one of the other things we said is that faith is something a believer expresses and that God responds to, right? That's what faith is. A believer expresses faith, and I specifically use the word believer and not Christian for a reason. Someone who believes in God expresses that, and then God responds to that in some type of way, right? And last week, we talked specifically about, oops, sorry, going the wrong way, uh, um, how our faith in our history, and we looked at an instance where uh, the faith of one person overcame the history of an entire people group, but also led to the redemption of all humanity, just because of one person's faith, because they expressed their faith, and then God responded to it, right? So um, that's what happens 
when we express our faith, when we have stuff in our history, and I said last week, there's a lot of people that have so many things that think, God can't overcome this. I've done too much wrong. There's no way that God can help me. There's no way that God can save me. And as we said last week, and as is true every week, there is no much, no such thing as too big or too much for God when you put your faith and your trust in him, right? But this week, I wanted to address another common misconception about faith. This one, very common. Lots of people um, have, have, have heard of this concept, and it's our faith versus our works, right? And this isn't talking about just expressing a faith. This is specifically talking about people who express their faith in order to become saved or a Christian or declared right in the eyes of God. And there are so many people, whole religions and denominations that say, hey, it's only by our works. We have to do A, B, C, D, and E. We have to keep doing it. And then hopefully we'll have done enough good that God says, okay, now because of the good that you've done, you're declared right and you get to be a part of the family of God. Now, um, before I even get into this, let me explain that from a biblical perspective, not just my perspective, from a biblical perspective, it is our faith that saves us. It is not our works. There's literally a verse in the Bible that says we are saved by faith and not by works. But again, this is a common misconception because of there's one passage of scripture, we're going to look at it, that kind of talks about faith and your deeds and people take it out of context, and they think that, oh, you are only saved if you do enough good. And how many people remember, uh, some of you might remember this, when we used to go to the nursing home and sing with some of the people at the nursing home, anyone remember that? Yeah, years ago, um, and maybe after all the COVID stuff, is we can look at doing that again, but um, I remember talking to one lady after we had you know, done our whole singing, and I, I did a three-minute talk, and talking to one lady, and it broke my heart because she said, I remember clearly, she said, um, I'm here in this nursing home because I'm near the end of my life. And my only hope is, is that when I die, I will have done enough good to make it to heaven, which broke my heart. And I told her, I said, if you put your faith in the finished work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, then you will have done enough good. But my little 30-second talk couldn't overcome 70 or 80 years of being told, you've got to do this. You've got to pray this. You've got to speak this. You've got to do these acts. You've got to pay this amount of money. And then, hopefully, you'll have done enough good. And there are so many people out there who have that same concept even though that's not what the Bible says. So uh, we're going to walk through a lot of verses. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3 and then in James chapter 2. But I'm going to put all the verses up here on the screen because I'm going to be jumping around a lot. Uh, but I, I want us to walk away with a final understanding. So uh, uh, no one who gets the great teaching that you guys get will be able to say, hey, we're saved by our works. You'll know that's not true. Okay, so in Romans chapter 3, uh, and to put this in context, Paul is writing specifically 
about the fact that there were a lot of Jewish people who said, hey, it's only the Jews who are declared righteous in God's sight. All right? So uh, like we said a couple of weeks ago, context is key. So I want to make sure everyone understands I'm not taking this out of context. Uh, in that passage and in that discussion, he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So what he's about to explain, and I said last week, the book of Romans is just Paul explaining all these theological concepts in layman's terms, right? So uh, what he's about to explain, he says the law itself, which is, you know, the, the, the Old Testament, the, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that was considered the law, and the prophets, which is all the writings from the prophets, he said they testify to what he's about to say, okay? He said the law to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. So he makes it pretty clear. The righteousness of God is given to all who believe by faith. Oh, I thought you guys would all say that with me. Okay. Given by faith. There you go. To all who believe. So if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're a, a Buddhist who suddenly expresses faith in God, or you're a Muslim, or you're a Jehovah Witness, or a Mormon, or doesn't matter, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, black, white, Asian, Latino, man, woman, doesn't matter, child, adult, senior citizen, who expresses faith in God, then the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imparted to you. He goes on and he says this, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. There's a reason why it had to come through Jesus Christ. Because in order for me to redeem myself, the penalty for sin is death. So in order for me to do it, I'd have to die. In order for you to do it, you'd have to die. In order for humanity to do it, humanity would have to die. But Jesus, who is God and an eternal being, could pay the penalty and die for the sins of all people who have ever lived, or as Paul said, anyone who believes, past, present, future. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. There you go. So it's, it's not by works. It's not by what we do. It's not by any task that we could achieve. It's only by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And then he finishes this passage with this. He says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. When he says that we maintain, he's talking about we, the apostles, and we can do this because the law and the prophets also testify that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Not from any deeds they do, not from obeying any part of the Old Testament. None of that matters. What matters is you putting faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he finishes and says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised, that's all the Jewish people, by faith, and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Whether you're Jew 
whether you're Gentile, it doesn't matter. He makes the argument and makes it clear that we're justified. We're declared in right standing by God. Salvation comes through faith. Now, that's pretty clear for some, right? There are some people that say, oh, well, that's kind of hard to follow. So uh, let me put it up in another verse. Paul says this, right? And this is the verse we talked about earlier. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, for it is by free grace, and then this is the amplified version, it describes what grace is, God's unmerited favor, meaning we didn't even earn it, it's just God giving it to us. It's by God's free grace that you are saved, and then he explains what that is, delivered from judgment, made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith, right? He says this salvation is not of ourselves, of your own doing, it came not through your own striving. It is the gift of God, not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. That's the amplified version. It kind of amplifies the language to expound on it. But the most simple version, in the NIV version, just in case anyone's still confused, in the simplest version, it says... It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Multiple places, multiple times, we're saved by faith, not by our works. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to redeem ourselves and put ourselves in right standing with God. But there is a passage in James where people read and they take that out of context. So I want to show you that because I want to show you why people walk away thinking no uh, and why there are whole denominations built around the fact that we have to do these works in order to be saved. But I want to do it in context because, as we said before, context is key. So in the book of James, chapter 2, James is also writing to Jewish people, but he's writing to them about the fact that they claim to be in right standing with God, but their actions don't show that. He's, in, in the previous verses, and I didn't put them up here just for the sake of time, he talks about you claim to be in right standing of God, but you lie, you steal, and you commit adultery. So he's not writing about how you can be saved and justified. He's writing about the fact that there is no expression of your faith just because you say you obey all of these laws. So he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And he had made the argument that if you truly are saved, it should come out in what you do. But if you're still lying and cheating and stealing and committing adultery, there is no God in you. And then he continues and he says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And this is where people say, oh, he's saying you have to be saved by doing your deeds. And he's not. He's making a statement saying, hey, if you claim to be a Christian, what good is it if, if you claim you have faith this expression of faith in God, 
but it doesn't come out in how you live it. He said that kind of faith that's not seen is worthless. And he actually uses the phrase and says it's literally dead. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He's not saying that your faith doesn't save you, but he's saying if you claim to have faith, but you're not, you have no expression of it, you're not showing it by the way you live your life. He says it's necrotic, that's the word that's used there, or dead without life. This isn't an argument against salvation. It's an argument about the Christians, and we see this on all the memes on Facebook all the time. Hey, look at all the homeless people in the world. Look at all the churches in the world. Why aren't they doing something about it? We see this all the time when people talk about, hey, there are people starving, and yet churches are holding spaghetti fundraisers so they can put in more lights and more sound systems and all that stuff. And it's a valid point. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anyone who holds fundraisers or, or what churches do, but I'm saying if the focus, if we're saying we're Christians and our focus is, hey, uh, we're going to let all of you guys out there just starve, be homeless, uh, deal with your own mental health issues and addictions, and we're not going to lift a finger to help you, but then we're going to come in here on Sunday and sing, how great is our God then our faith is dead. And before anyone says anything about it, Jesus says the same thing because Jesus says, uh, and I forget what verse in John, that if we don't show fruit, then God prunes those who aren't showing fruit because he's like, I don't really need you. You're not doing anything to expand the kingdom. And this is the same argument uh, that James is making. And he finishes as this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Just saying, hey, I believe in God doesn't make you a person who is showing the faith of God because there are demons who believe in God, right? That's not the qualification. The qualification, and Jesus even said this, you will know them by their fruit. The way that people will know that we're the church is the way that we love one another. When he described what it means to love your neighbor, he didn't say, say him back and saying, hey, I love you, man. I love you. He said, it's going to that neighbor that's hurting and in need and using your resources to meet their needs. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what the church is called to do. And then he, he ends this, this way. He says, in the same way, not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. And we talked about this last week, right? We were talking about Ruth because Rahab was the, and I'm going to forget this, grandmother, great-grandmother, mother, grandma. She was, she was a generation before Ruth. She was Boaz's mother was Rahab. There you go. Got it. Boaz's mother was Rahab. And Rahab was that you guys remember Jericho, like the, whole, the walls came crashing down, and the only thing that saved her was her saying, hey, I know what your God is capable of. And a spy said, hey, we know, you, you say you know that, but the only way we're going to know is if you show us. So hang this red cord from your window 
And she did in faith, and God responded in faith, and her family was the only family that survived when that city was destroyed because of her faith. Now, for some people, this is still confusing, right? They're still like, well, faith versus works, even though there's literally a verse that says we're saved by faith and not by works. So what I always tell people is, what does Jesus say, right? Because if you hear what Jesus says, it's usually very clear-cut, not confusing. In the same way, you know, just how uh, Paul said, hey, the law and the prophets testify, here's something that the Holy Spirit literally testifies to, okay? Um, sorry, I went back. In the book of Acts, and this is one of my favorite accounts, Acts chapter 10, uh, just a summary, guy named Cornelius, Italian band, um, um, works for the military, uh, loves God, but doesn't know about Jesus. So God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to Peter and says, hey, I want you to go share the gospel with him. And when Peter shows up at his house, uh, Peter's like, hey, just so you know, I, normally I wouldn't even come into your house, but the Holy Spirit told me to do so. And so Peter uh, starts sharing with the family of Cornelius. Cornelius has called all his friends and all his family to hear Peter share the gospel. And Peter's speaking, and he says, all the prophets testify about him, meaning Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit only comes on those who have expressed their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us the promised seal of the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we have been saved. It's kind of like God saying, here's a little taste of eternity. So he puts his Holy Spirit in us. Now, everyone here, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all of those who heard the message. They didn't respond to an altar call. They didn't get up and say, well, here, let me throw something in the tithe uh, basket. They didn't have to come to the front. They didn't have to raise their hands or bow their heads. The only thing that they did is they heard the message and they believed it. And then the Holy Spirit said, okay, you, you, you're believing, then you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit. Not because of any deeds or works that they did, just because of their faith. And then the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So it wasn't just Peter saying, I think they're saved. There was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, them speaking in tongues, which is a sign of, of the Holy Spirit, so that everyone would know, yeah, they're saved. And just to make sure that everyone was on the same page, Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way they're being baptized because they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. If Peter, an apostle, was filled with the Holy Spirit and right standing with God, he looked at all those people and said, they are in the same family of God that I am. They're just like us right now. Not because of any deeds they did, but because of their faith. Exactly. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. As the band comes up, let me share this last one with you. And we're all familiar with the thief on the cross. 
right? There were thieves on the cross, and one of the criminals with Jesus, when he was being crucified, one of the criminals who was hung there hurled inserts, insults at him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, right? So he's like, if you are the Messiah, I don't believe that you are, but if you are, save us. Perhaps if you do that, then I might believe. So he doesn't have the belief that he is the Messiah. But the other criminal rebuked him and saying, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, his expression of faith was, hey, I may not know a lot, but I believe that you are the son of God, you are the Messiah, and that you are going to, your kingdom is going to come again. And no matter what, science, um, 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 physics, and reality tell us there's not a whole lot of works you can do when your feet and hands are nailed to a cross, right? It's not like he reached into his loincloth and pulled out money for tithe. It's not like he was able to say, hold on, let me come down to the altar and make a prayer. All he did was express a belief. There were no works that he was physically capable of doing, and he made it an expression of faith and Jesus responded and said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And, and, and here, in case, again, in case I haven't made this crystal clear, there is absolutely, positively nothing that we can do. There is no work that we can do. There's not enough money that we can pay. There's not as no, uh, enough prayers that we can say. There's no penance. There's no act that we can do that can put us in right standing with God because the penalty is literally our lives. But God paid that penalty for us as the Son of God shed his blood for us. And all we have to do is express our belief in him to become a part of his family. And if we do that, then God says, hey, yeah, I want to put my Holy Spirit in you so there's no doubt in your mind that this wasn't done because of any act that you did, but it's the free gift that I am giving to you, sealing you with my Holy Spirit so that you know that you are mine. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, I pray that in the days and weeks to come, um, as we encounter conversations and people who need to know about your love, who are concerned about our nation, who are worried about uh, uh, the, the increase of the variant of the virus, who are maybe just fearful of the direction our nation is taking because of all the political turmoil. I pray that we would, as your spirit leads us, take the time to tell them about you about the free gift that you offer, about the hope that we can put in you, and about the love that you have for us so much so that you sent your son to die on a cross and you ask absolutely nothing in return except that we love you with all our heart, mind, body, and soul and love others as we love ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage 
crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.